Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. episode of Death of the Roman Republic reviews HBO's Rome. Now, I know that I already went through some preamble here already, but there was one crucial thing that I forgot, which was allowing my fellow hosts to, in their own words, fully fully explain their gimmicks and what they bring to the show, not just an aggressive 30 seconds of what they know about Roman history. So uh, would Jacob or Cole or BP care to start here? What What is your gimmick? Why did Why did I, Kay, choose to have you join this, this little squad we got going on here? Okay, I'll, I'll go, go first. Go oh, Cole wants to go first. Cole, go first. Yeah, let me show some initiative, okay? All right, so uh, I wouldn't call it a gimmick. Uh, I, I take this very seriously, Mr. K. Uh, I have not watched the show before. I know the little bit about Roman history that I shared previously, and I haven't listened to the podcast, and now in an effort to not spoil myself, we'll continue to. So you've really played yourself. Uh, Appreciate it, Cole. Cole, I will also note here, in a certain sense, you arguably... Uh, related the most about Roman history in the specific time period compared to everyone else. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, no one's better or worse here. Not a bad performance, though. All right. Jacob, I think you were up next. What, what yeah. you to the show, my friend? Uh, well, Cole stole the words out of my mouth. Uh, it's not a gimmick. It's my life experience. Okay. <laughs> Big fan of DOTRR, but is it a gimmick if I've never seen television? Or is that just a purposeful life choice, huh? That I, wait, wait, you've never <laughs> seen television, buddy? Yeah, that's right. For the purpose of this podcast, I have <laughs> broken 25 years of trying not to watch television so I could review Rome. Wow, then then HBO's Rome's a pretty intense start there, my friend. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let's see. BP, how about you, my friend? Well, I also have never listened to D-O-T-R-R. Um, I've also never seen the HBO show Rome, but I really like the art of film. I really, and television, I really enjoy, I've liked learning about history before, but I was kind of not very good at learning a lot of history from this time period. So it's kind of fun to learn about those historical discussions uh, and kind of figure out, oh, what's artistic and what's reality. Yeah, learning via HBO. Yeah, that sounds like a great college class. Well, all right, fellas, I volunteered to take points on this episode one, summarizing the episode. So I took some notes here. I'm going to share them, what was kind of going down here. But at any given point, you guys feel free to jump in with your thoughts and opinions or questions or something like that. And every so often, I might pose a question to you here. So we start. Don't be shocked if I say who an actor is from another on another medium of television or film. Oh, all right. (laughs) playing the imdb game bp playing the imdb game let's go <laughs> an immediate mess up we love to see it it wasn't even me we'll edit it in post okay so first first things coming up no cold open or anything guys we get just a, a hard intro into the world of hbo's rome and it's it's kind of weird in my perspective i've watched a lot of hbo shows and in hindsight compared to all the others i don't think it's as epic as some other banger hbo intros it's also very of its time mid 2000s cinematography and graphics it's a very weird vibe in my opinion but i do credit it for making me feel like 
it's it's a very weird world we're entering in almost like another world because it's depictions of the city of rome is more unfamiliar and grimier than you may expect like ex for example if you are expecting to see a pristine coliseum or something like that that's definitely not in the intro because the coliseum was not yet built but i i was curious to see your guys' thoughts what were your thoughts about the introduction title sequence to hbo's room here I don't know what the future could have held because as mentioned in the intro, this is kind of a precursor to what Game of Thrones would have been uh, for many people. I don't think the Game of Thrones intro would have been animated the way it was had we not gotten this introduction personally. Because um, I think after watching this episode, we could, I'll kind of go into a little bit more details. This kind of goes on is... I can't, I definitely felt the Game of Thrones vibes. And then now I'm kind of like, oh, now I know where George R. R. Martin got a lot of his writing expert, uh, inspiration from for A Song of Ice and Fire. At least an idea of it. You, you recovered at the end there. Yeah, I was, I was a little worried where that was going there, BP. But okay, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Cole, Jacob, did you guys have any thoughts about the intro to share? Well, as uh, a recently reformed uh, non-TV watcher, uh is interesting tone it's set isn't it just there's these words on the screen and things are moving weird and uh it, i just it really sent me off into a sea of confusion i had no idea what to expect after watching this jacob's expressing some experience of fright it appears all right <laughs> <laughs> uh and cole what about you my friend i would say it i felt like i don't want to say like misled but i want to say the intro was kind of misleading because based on what the intro was like uh, you would not get what the show in its proper form is so it was uh, it threw me off a little bit but i i enjoyed it oh that's that i cole if i may investigate like based on the vibe of the intro what did you think then the show was more gonna be or at least the first episode the intro made it come off as if it would be more lighthearted and i knew that wouldn't be the case due to it being an hbo show and also the familiarity i have with roman history but the intro like going in blind would have painted a very different picture okay okay yeah yeah um i i don't think i'm making this up there's definitely like a, a graffitied phallus uh with some animation uh during yes. it, correct yeah, yeah okay, okay. Absolutely i thought is. that was a thing but i wasn't sure all right See, yeah one yeah. of the things you only pick up after watching it for the third time <laughs> This was Jacob's first episode of television, and he watched it three times. I had to. I had to. <laughs> All right. So we'll kick on here beyond the intro here. The episode starts with some narration that for the purposes of death of the Roman Republic, that we are basically in the middle of the death of the Roman Republic because the Republic, as the narration describes, doesn't seem all that democratic. It is described as Pompey Magnus and Julius Caesar, who are basically soldiers who are keeping order and de facto hold rule over Rome. It is described that Pompey was once uh, undisputed and the most powerful, but Caesar is quickly becoming uh, more powerful, more wealthy, and more popular among the common people. Then we get some action proper here with a battle scene in Gaul. The Roman legions are battling Gallic warriors. Roman discipline and organization is showcased. And we meet our first character in proper, an officer named Lucius Verinus. He is giving commands 
and blowing a whistle so that his soldiers and their battle tactics can switch out and rest. Uh, Titus Polo, our second introduced character, he's a reckless soldier who advances too far ahead, so his officer Varinus advances to rescue him, and Polo punches him in the face. Polo gets arrested, whipped, and jailed. He is destined to be executed, but he doesn't seem to care too much, although he is later upset that he is going to miss out on the pillaging that the Roman soldiers are going to get to do. Can I say that I think it's very interesting that this show opens up with uh, its inaugural scene being uh, relatively minor players in the grand scheme of Roman history. I find that it's, it's a choice. It's a choice. I, I I like what you said there, Jacob. I might not address that this episode, but yeah. definitely by the series finale, it is just a cool perspective uh, brought in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a person that really likes uh, film and action films specifically, I did not love this opening because I do not, I, I don't know what it is. I think some movies or TV shows have gotten away with it pretty well. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't like when things are just shot up so close and you cannot see what is going on. And it is super frustrating at times when I'm kind of like, wait, who is this character? When did this part happen? Obviously, it wasn't like as quick cut as some other action movies have been, but I did not love that. I'm more of a, when I see action going on, I like the long shots of it all. Okay, uh, I I can't wait to hear your thoughts about other battle scenes coming up in the show. I, it's going to be real fun, I'm sure. So continuing on here, we get a look at a very important character, Julius Caesar, who receives a note from Pompey, his friend and ally. And the note says that Caesar's daughter and Pompey's wife, Julia, has died in childbirth. Caesar is obviously troubled by the news. His boy, Mark Antony, offers condolences. And Caesar says that Pompey is going to need a new wife. In Rome, Pompey, Cato. Actually, uh, I sorry, I wanted to share a thought I had uh, during this whole scene that I quickly realized was me uh, getting in my own head, because uh, Caesar uh, is talking about how his daughter died in childbirth, and then uh, it was Mark Antony, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Antony uh, asks, uh, "What of the child?" And Caesar says, uh, "It was a girl and stillborn." And my thought immediately was, go- Owen, is it stillborn though? Is it is a fib? Is it a ruse? Is this going to be a whole thing? Oh, but, um, okay, yeah. Events later on in the the episode make me think that I was just in my own head about it. No, no, that's good, Cole. Five minutes in already theory crafting. I dig that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Also, also, go ahead, BP. Go ahead, BP. It is a lot of fun. Whenever uh, from the from a person that really likes uh, movies and TV shows, once again, it's really fun seeing um, Kieran Hines. Anytime he is on screen, gosh, is he such a fun character actor. Jacob, your face. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I don't know he who is, it is. He is the, he's the one playing Julius Caesar. He has done oh. a lot of movies and TV shows. He was okay. um, Dumbledore's brother in the final Harry Potter movie. Yeah, Jacob, what was your thought there? Uh, well, just the whole like first 10 minutes of the show are just, I think, really weird, just like really, really weird. Um, Because like, 
you kind of get the exposition on what these characters are and and then you're just kind of thrown into the middle of it and the first time we see pompey on screen he is kissing the dying julia in the weirdest way ever it's like <laughs> this really bizarre and ugly kiss which i get because she's dying but it's like i i feel like we should have been introduced to pompey first and then got this because i don't know it just weird vibes man that weird character introduction yeah no it's i no i i appreciate your perspectives yeah like i i no i i won't continue that thought right now but yes watching watching rome for the first time for me five years ago it was weird i honestly the second time around things make more sense i i will say but mm. i got that uh benefit of seeing the whole series um all right guys so we we're leaving gaul now in the narrative in rome pompey and cato and cicero uh they watch some of caesar's men return who prepare to uh sell some slaves to the market they hand out valuables pillaged from gaul they are chanting caesar's name the people and that troubles cato and it troubles cicero i think this is great foreshadowing. Uh, there's a, I, I wrote down a line because I was like, oh, wow, I, this, this uh, resonates with what I've learned from DOTRR. Um, I, I can't remember if it's Cicero or Cato who says it. I think it's Cato. Um, uh, what a dreadful sound plebs make when happy. Um, so kind oh. of insinuating uh, the, the battle of nobility, class, power, etc., etc. So I just thought that was a fun little uh, bit, a little bit, a little I, inkling. I appreciate that perspective, uh, Jacob. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, especially considering the intro you gave there about class warfare. Anyways, um, yeah. let's see. So we have another character, a little more minor in the series. His name is Timon, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, he is walking around with a white horse around town, uh, and he passes a very important character named the newsreader who's announcing the news. He's basically uh, the Fox News of his day and age, um, just telling everybody what is going on there. Why are you guys looking at me like that? Then we Does get- Does he specifically read it to rural communities only? <laughs> We, we then get Timon getting uh, his own kind of action scene. He is having sex with a woman named Adia of the Julii, who is Julius Caesar's niece. It's it's weird because they are watched by Adia's slaves and they even got like a palm frond fanning them. And Adia tells Timon that she wants that beautiful horse that he was swinging around town. And then Rome takes it up to a freaking 11 when later on a teenage Octavian, he's, you know, snooping around peeping around he sees his naked mother bathing he withdraws and she tells him no come in come in and he does and then she stands up and there's full frontal nudity and then she gets dressed by slaves and i did have a very specific question here what did you guys think of adia's introduction jacob i see you're dying to say something yeah so uh, i'll answer the question at hand first i think Adia's introduction is really good. Like, I, I think from the instant we meet her, we get really strong uh, characterization. Like, I instantly know what Adia is about, right? Uh, she's kind of, she's playing the game. She's having sex and she's getting a horse out of it, right? But also incredibly weird again, <laughs> because this is the first time we meet Octavian. And it's like, like, it's, 
you don't know it looks like a little kid just peeping on this woman naked in the bath and i'm like oh what's going on here and then she invites him in and i don't know maybe i am reading into it weirdly but it just felt like weird vibes again and then you find out it's octavian etc etc i'm like i I just don't know what to make of it is it's something no no that's that's quite good jacob i i don't think you're wrong i i would say that the vibe is off in in so many words yeah (laughs) yeah cole bp what did you guys think I would say that I was 100% on the same page with Jacob. The vibes were weird. And, you know, maybe it's because of my prior experience with Game of Thrones, but I was like, there's, it seems like both of them are a little too okay with this scene, and I don't <laughs> like it. But outside of that instance, uh, uh, I really liked Adia's introduction. She comes across, like, immediately as a very strong character that, like, knows what she wants and knows what she needs to do to get what she wants. All right. Valid opinions there, BP. Yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm going to add anything different. So I'll just cut to the point where it kind of showcases um, where uh, what this character is able to do in order to get her uh, political maneuverings finished. And I'm kind of interested to see where she goes from here on in terms of political scheming and helping Caesar out since she is Julius Caesar's niece. Yeah, yeah. I really don't think that uh, I can add much more, but, you know, while definitely gross, the first couple minutes demonstrate Atia's mastery over everyone in her household, how not vulnerable she is despite being naked. Um, And Atia goes on in that scene to explain that Octavian is going to deliver the purchase horse to Caesar and Gaul to impress him and earn his favor. Octavian, in this scene, in my opinion, he exudes uh, crypto teen alt-right pipeline energy. (laughs) You might have noticed that a slave uh, was offering him something. He swats the hand away his mother's very doting towards him he's kind of a a mommy boy freudian in nature unproven as of yet Uh, i do not i do not like octavian he is such a brat he's very (laughs) (laughs) that's such an intellectual way of saying that i love that i'm gonna start calling people incelian now in nature (laughs) thank you he's just i know it's gonna be talked about later in the episode but gosh he just he is such a brat and i do not like him yeah i i love hearing what you guys think of these characters um let's see we get our first senate meeting of the series cato is sitting among many senators and he states that caesar should be made to return to rome cato says that caesar has been waging an illegal war he has been making himself rich he should return to rome without his strength and he should stand trial for his crimes many senators are sitting on cato's side there are fewer senators who are sitting on caesar's side with uh, as his allies shouting him down in the scene pompey magnus is seated in the center of the room he uses his veto to deny cato's motion to recall caesar since pompey and caesar they're tight so pompey vetoes the motion down cicero is up next to speak and says cato he is unwise trying to provoke caesar and pompey is also unwise because he's trying to appease him but pompey insists that caesar has good intentions that he's a good guy the next scene that we see is Pompey watching a semi-pornographic theater performance, and he meets up with Cato and a guy named Scipio. Scipio implies that Pompey, who is now single, can marry his daughter Cornelia, who soon leaves the indecent play. So Pompey and Cato get to speaking by themselves, and Cato is trying to convince Pompey to make an alliance with him, that Pompey should turn his back on Caesar, who's becoming quite powerful and who has an army. But Pompey insists that he is 
stronger than Caesar. Cato nonetheless insists that they need to make an alliance to ensure Caesar will wither away without Pompey's support, but Pompey still refuses. Next scene that we see is Octavian packing for Gaul, and he is nervous, but he is comforted by his sister Octavia. Uh, maybe some people's moments time to shine here. I will ask Jacob first, do you recognize who Octavia is based on the show Better Call Saul? Oh, oh, wait. Um, I wouldn't because I haven't seen Better Call Saul. But That's in an right. alternate, I don't know why I asked you. That was in an alternate universe where maybe I watched <laughs> Better Call Saul. Let me think about it. Um, I, gosh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Okay, okay. Cole, do you recognize Octavia from the MCU? No, but admittedly, I wasn't paying too much attention to her face. That that sounds weird. Now that I've said that, I just mean like I. I wasn't observing her like features. I was just like paying attention to her as a character. I really should have thought about in that the a scene. little more. Yes. In the scene. No, we'll save that. Post. <laughs> we'll get know. there. We'll get there. All right. Uh, BP, take it home. Who is Octavia in Better Call Saul and in uh, uh, MCU? All right. So the actress that plays Octavia, I cannot remember her name off the top of my head for some reason, but she plays... Mike's daughter-in-law in Better Call Saul, the one... Yeah, that... she does, if I watch that show. And Cole, uh... you wouldn't have to recognize her face because she actually only provides her <laughs> voice to the MCU. And she is the voice of Friday when Jarvis becomes uh, Vision and Iron Man puts that new uh, disc in for a voice control. He, uh, She is Friday. I think I'm justified in not recalling that information. <laughs> yeah no, no, yeah yeah so anyways that was a bit of fun there cole's getting canceled <laughs> let's see octavian departs for gaul escorted by slaves they love slaves this household it is revealed that pompey wanted that horse that atia had bought for caesar and pompey is jealous and then conspires with the slave to do something about it so caesar's camp in gaul is raided by men in blue paint uh and an eagle a symbol of the army gets stolen out of the camp we see octavian riding up towards gaul and there's polo in prison he is drawing phalluses on the bench uh Let's things go, that polo. you do what a man <laughs> let's see here brutus another important character arrives in caesar's camp and he is warmly greeted by caesar so brutus and caesar they seem to have mm. a warm relationship here caesar inquires about brutus's lovely mother servilia mark antony walks in with the greatest introduction or uh with another character of all time would anyone care to uh quote that what mark antony had said specifically uh by all means i'd love to brutus me old cock excellent delivery there jacob and oh also while we're here can i take a second um bp do you recognize brutus's actor yes i do well um, shoot i thought my non-tv watching self was special in recognizing this actor but um i guess you know him already too so never mind Forget i didn't recognize him because i wasn't say, looking at his face I'll only say two famous roles of this actor. It is Tobias Mendes, who played Edmer Tully on Game of Thrones Menzies? and was. Pre oh, thank you for correcting me. And was uh, Prince Philip in seasons three and four of The Crown when Olivia Coleman replaced Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth when it got to that time period. Well, he's also in a British comedy called uh, This Way Up. So there, there you have it. 
And Antony goes on to, you know, you'd think with a warm introduction like that to Brutus that he'd be like, what, what's up, me old chap? But no, uh, Brutus uses this kind of rude Antony interrupting Brutus and Caesar's conversation there. Brutus uh, says that he cannot stand Antony, but Caesar says he finds him useful. Caesar reveals to Brutus that the missing eagle is a blow to his army's morale, but Brutus notes that the soldiers don't seem too upset about this missing eagle, but Caesar tells him that his soldiers have been with them for eight years they desperately want to come home to rome after this war so they're feeling a bit demoralized also in gaul octavian gets captured and his men get killed antony then meets with verinus and maybe i should say this here if it's not clear already caesar is the big grand general antony for all intents and purposes is his number two uh lucius verinus is an officer and can report up to antony basically so antony is directly giving orders to the officer we know lucius verinus he puts verinus in charge of finding the missing eagle and verinus fault he describes this uh very horrific plan of crucifying gauls until one can reveal information about the eagle's location and uh he goes along with that he starts crucifying gauls to find and extract information until he gets a hint titus to Polo, immediate success by the way <laughs> like yeah yeah we don't really know it seems goals. like i don't know two got crucified yeah, yeah yeah titus polo prays to a god to get out of prison he is immediately told that he is leaving prison then if he serves under verinus which polo initially refuses we then cut back to rome where brutus is hanging out with his mother servilia servilia inquires about caesar and servilia asks, did caesar ask about me brutus teases her a bit before giving her a letter that caesar had wrote servilia reads caesar's letter wherein he expresses that he wants to be alone with her and servilia says i i just wish that he could say that he loves me and who, who among us hasn't been there come on gosh in Gaul, cutting back up there, Polo and Varinus are on the hunt for the missing eagle. Polo thanks Varinus for choosing him for this assignment and that he never forgets a favor. Varinus reveals that it's actually unlikely they'll find the eagle. Polo kind of starts in a place of good faith, you know, he's being buddies, yeah. being pals, and Varinus then reveals like, no, we're probably going to fail, so when we fail at this, you're already destined to die. I'm not going to dishonor a good man. So yeah, so that's that's a really great exchange. And I was curious here guys what what do you guys think of polo and varinus's dynamic at this point i think if i may think uh they're the best characters so far in the show um i think they're the most likable at the very least there's there's plenty of strong characters abound but they all kind of are a little bad yeah. uh, and these two <laughs> uh just kind of seem like they're living life and they got they have a good back and forth, you know. One's the the brash, rash, and the other's the you know uh, look before you leap type of guy. And so it's it's a good dynamic. I appreciate that, Jacob. I again happy to hear your thoughts going forward in the series here. Let's see, BP Cole, any thoughts you guys want to share? I, it's definitely. I'm hoping that something evolves a little bit more of it. Um, nothing wrong with like that uh kind of buddy cop-esque relationship where one's kind of the uh no nonsense one's kind of the more uh i can't remember don't want to take any words from the people that had the characters for our later discussion in the podcast but like something a little more brash a little more uh out there wanting to kind of have a little more fun um i don't think that dynamic is bad i'm just kind of hoping that 
uh, I really enjoyed it. And it grew Jacob. They're definitely the most, uh, probably the most good characters on the show. But as of this moment, but yeah, I just, I would like to see a little bit more dive into this uh, dynamic before. Okay. Yeah. Cole, how about you? Anything that you want to put in or has everything been said, you think? Um, I really liked their dynamic. I enjoyed the, the, this buddy cop energy they had. Also, I appreciated that uh, Varinus brought up the whole, oh, they could have just like thrown that eagle into the sea or like melted it down because I was thinking like when it got so I was like, well, that's gone forever. So I, I appreciated that was something that was like acknowledged within the show. All right. Well, thank you for sharing there, Cole. Uh, yeah, basically for me, there are a buddy cop movie going on right now. Continuing on this episode, in Rome, Servilia throws a party that the Roman upper crust attends. Brutus is drunk. He is telling stories. He says that his mother wants him to be in politics, but he finds politics pretty dull. Pompey and Brutus then talk privately about Caesar, and Brutus, he's a little drunk. He is reporting that Caesar's men are mutinous about the stolen eagle. Also at the party, Adia reads a letter from Caesar requesting that she finds a girl in the Julii family that Pompey will be able to marry. In Rome, Adia sacrifices a cow for Octavian. A priest tells her that no harm will come to him. Adia asks about Octavia's marriage to her husband, Glabius, and tries to get her on board with marrying Pompey, bending the truth and describing it as a decision that Caesar already made. I'd like to point out uh, an observation that I thought was kind of funny, that uh, before when Polo was praying to get out of prison, immediately answered so it's like all right cool divine favor then uh adia sacrifices the cow and the priest says hey don't worry nothing bad's gonna happen to your son when he is in actuality already been captured and probably beaten at this point by the gall so it's like <laughs> shows this like pandemic of like the prayers don't always work yeah 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 uh, i want to talk about the cow scene yeah yeah because i don't know there was just something about it there atia or Atia or whatever, just brings this this energy into any scene. I feel like she's she's sitting down there beneath the cow, and uh, it just feels weird again. I don't know how else to <laughs> describe it. <laughs> Remaining kind of PG, and it's a very PG situation. Well, other than the the blood <laughs> pouring onto her, but uh, I don't know. It feels kind of sexually charged. I don't know why. Okay, but, okay. No, I was gonna. Yeah. I. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it. I do. I do understand why you might say that there is a, a very odd energy, or may, maybe we're using the word sexual because we don't have another good word to describe a woman yeah. being covered in cow's blood or something. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, I guess it is just already bizarre and weird, <laughs> yeah. and so it's like to make heads or tails of it, uh, hard. All right. But yeah, interesting scene. It, it's a it, it's a good one. Um, Octavia uh, talking about divorcing her husband and stuff. She refuses. She isn't going to divorce her husband, Glabius. But Adia explains Glabius is going to be killed if they don't get divorced. So Octavia divorces Glabius, gets made up for meeting Pompey. Uh, and then Adia and Octavia meet up with Pompey, who is recounting some war stories. Adia pretends to be interested, but then she gets on a business. Caesar is offering Octavia's hand in marriage to Pompey, and Octavia 
Octavia seems uncomfortable, and Kay seems uncomfortable. Pompey uh, <laughs> says, says that she's lovely, <laughs> but nothing can be official until a month from now when he's officially done mourning the wife, uh, mourning the death of his wife Julia as Roman custom. Adia, of course, understands this, but states that their betrothal celebrations can still happen now, which is code for sex. And Octavia is desperately uncomfortable, and Kay is desperately uncomfortable. Uh, quick comment there, Cole. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like to say, uh, I think uh, the actress that plays Adia does a phenomenal job, but Adia as a character is a oh. terrible actress. Oh, yeah? <laughs> like, no one in that room believed she was even slightly interested in anything Pompey was saying. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. she was kind of mm-hmm. like, not enough, yeah. Like, yeah. oh, so you took your Calvary to flank the flank, oh, interesting, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like, same with Octavia, but she has the excuse of being sad. Like, Adia, like, no reason, she just... She doesn't have it in her. Yeah. Yeah. And then a short scene. Octavia is stripped naked by slaves and is essentially prostituted by her mother to Pompey to keep the alliance with Caesar. We cut back to Gaul. Polo Verinus, uh, Polo and Verinus set up camp. Polo talks about women. Verina says it's been about seven years since he has seen his wife. If it isn't clear by now in their relationship, and you guys had said, uh, Polo is the more crass brute and Verinus is the straight-laced one between the two of them. In the morning, they have their horses stolen, but while they're walking, they spy a Gallic caravan, and that is also the same folks that had enslaved Octavian. Not that they know him, but Verinus and Polo slay the Gauls, and Octavian is freed. He beats one of his captors. Octavian states that he is Caesar's great nephew, and Polo and Verinus, they don't really quite believe him initially. They said they'll go to Caesar's camp after they find the eagle, but then Octavian starts spouting off some political thoughts, and he says that, why are you looking for an eagle? Caesar doesn't care about a missing eagle. If anything, it is good for him that it has gone missing, because his rival Pompey is going to think that missing a golden eagle is a big loss to Caesar, but in reality, it's only a symbolic loss to Caesar, but Pompey might be then inspired to strike at Caesar uh, to remove him from power. And therefore, if Pompey does something like that and he gets uh, Caesar gets betrayed by Pompey, then Caesar is not the perceived aggressor in his true intention of removing Pompey from power. And I thought that was like really, I had forgotten totally about that entire explanation and the, the 40 chess moves there was definitely really it's cool. crazy. Mm-hmm. Should go back for a second that their horses get stolen because, oh gosh, what's his name? Poli- Polo. Polo does a terrible do- job at Night Watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it's a terrible job or like literally just not just even attempting to try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, Varinus is like, yeah, wake me up when the moon's at its zenith. And uh, Varinus goes to sleep. And I imagine Polo just immediately goes to sleep right after. Tattoo this episode on your arm, like you've like watched it three times, baby. Each quotes. Oh my god. Um, This also, I don't know how historically accurate this part is. It just feels way too convenient that they would just run into Octavian. Oh, it's a no. This episode is like full of plot contrivances, like you know Brutus getting to and from Roman Gaul and like. Uh, time. Yeah, no, no. It's like it's like late season Game of Thrones time travel. Anyways, 
Um, let's see here. Varinus, uh, looking at the caravan, he realizes that there's blue paint on the caravan and they just killed all the Gauls, but it must mean the raiders who had taken the eagle, the guys in the blue paints, they must be closer among them. And one escapes from hiding, tries to run and gets killed and he is holding the eagle. So Varinus, Polo and Octavian triumphantly return with the eagle and Caesar is pleasantly surprised to see Octavian on this beautiful white horse that Adia prostituted herself to get. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, the man they realize who had tried to run off with the eagle has Pompey's name tattooed on the side of his head. I, I think it said G Pompeius, Nias Pompeius. Uh, so it's Pompey's slave that had uh, was in, in this conspiracy taking the eagle and Caesar realizes that Pompey was already moving against him and that the battle begins. He didn't need all the fancy subterfuge of trying to convince Pompey he was weak. Pompey was just going in already because he was jealous about the horse apparently. So in Rome, the slave's head is delivered back to Pompey with a letter from Caesar that he will soon be near Rome with an army and they can meet. Pompey then has a parade in short order celebrating his marriage to his bride. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? It's Cornelia, Scipio's what? daughter, Cato's ally, and therefore, it's not Octavia, Pompey has politically moved against Caesar. Adia berates Octavia for failing to entice Pompey into marriage, but she relents as Octavia starts crying because she feels ashamed. And Adia says that she shouldn't be ashamed that it, uh, Pompey, he comes from a lower class. Um, again, that classism theme coming up once again. Octavia states that she wants Pompey dead. Adia believes it'll happen. And Caesar's army starts marching towards Italy and a Gallic settlement is burning in their wake and that guys is episode one so thank you for allowing me to summarize that guys any any parting thoughts that you guys want to say real quick about the episode until colon bp you guys get your own little spotlight to maybe speculate about where you think the story's going to go from here um i will say poor poor octavia oh my god this poor gal man she's really going she's, through it she's so in love with her husband and achi is like yeah he probably won't divorce you and you won't divorce him. And so, yeah, Julius Caesar will probably just kill him. So you probably should just marry Pompey. And so Octavia's like, yeah, that's fine. I guess I'll marry Pompey. And they they fornicate. And and then Pompey's like, actually, I'm not going to marry you, Octavia. I'm going to marry this other lady. And Octavia is now divorced with the, no hopes. Although Atia's like, oh, we'll find you someone better. And so oh, who knows what that'll be. But poor Octavia. Cole, any parting thoughts you want to share on this episode overall? No, I ha have something that I want to say later on when we get into okay. where we think it's going for the future. Okay. Go, go, yeah, go ahead and share your thoughts here, VP. I would say really solid first episode. There's a lot of things I think I was a may have seemed a little more on the critiquing side on, but that's just because it's because these are things I'm kind of like, oh, I want to see this evolve as the show goes on and i'm looking forward to kind of seeing how uh things evolve throughout the duration of the show yeah like um i i think i gosh not to not to spoil too much of my personal takes hbo's rome is not at all one of my favorite tv shows like in 
the when I finished it for the first time, it it maybe left a bad taste in my mouth. But this first episode, like rewatching it, it is just like a very solid story and sets everything up very well. I think, and I know there will be some things in the series that I don't like moving forward, but it's a very solid episode overall. Colin BP, you guys, I'll I'll say roughly two minutes here. What do you guys think is going to be happening in the coming episode, or just in the you know escalating stakes? What relationships may change? What do you think are is going to happen in the next? couple episodes that we're gonna see here do you think i would like to go first here so there's a a quote that i'm pretty sure i'll be quoting correctly i don't remember who said it or who it's in relation to but feels very apropos for this episode Uh, it is my kingdom for a horse because it really feels like all this stuff with the horse (laughs) is really just what starts everything because i have enough awareness of history to know at least to some extent how this story is going to end it's a good point, yeah. Such a good connection. Wow. Kind of like the Sopranos in that regard. That's that's hey. just for me. You guys have seen the Sopranos. <laughs> I know I know the mob is all about horses. Uh, you missing me or put a dead horse in your bed. Uh, that is the godfather. <laughs> okay, well, whatever. They're all mafia things. BP, what what do you think is gonna be occurring in the next couple episodes? Like re- again, relationships that may change or you know, are it th- I maybe I'll ask this. Do you think that the next episode we're gonna get a battle scene between Pompey and Caesarian armies, possibly? Or or what? Based on you asking that question, I kinda wanna say yes, but I'm my brain is also kinda wanting to say no because I think despite the reasons that their feud has begun, I think that it might be a little t- from an artistic standpoint, I think it might be a little too rushed in and it may feel like the conflict is quickly resolved okay. on that really quickly. Yeah. But if if battle kind of ensued kind of immediately after their feud kind of started, then on the historical end, then maybe that is what ends up happening. But as of right now, I'm going to say no. I could see it happening kind of mid-season or that be like, I don't know how they did it like this maybe kind of pull like a hard home or a red wedding and then that'd be like the penultimate to the finale and then the finale is kind of more of an aftermath of it yeah all. yeah okay jacob do you have any quick reactions to what our compatriots have just said there i'm gonna keep it all inside personally but i don't know what what do you think we'll see we'll see <laughs> Very, very good, very good. Yeah. Okay, now something unique for our uh, this episode right here. I w- there's quite a few major characters that had gotten introduced here. I I numbered it down to twelve here, and I had asked my three fellow co-hosts. Uh, I assigned four to each of them, and I asked them each to describe their four assigned characters in three words each, essentially. So let me pull up that list of who was going to be describing whom. It seems. Jacob, I'll, I'll ask you here. I had assigned you Varinus starting off here, that mm-hmm. army officer. Jacob, what are three words that you would use to describe Varinus? The words or adjectives I have selected are obedient, begrudging, and logical. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because he's Snaps. very much, uh, you know, he's an, uh, an officer in Caesar's army uh, or, or legion, etc., etc., um and you know he, he's following orders he's by the books you know he's he's yelling at polo or uh, yeah polo to like get back information you know um but he also has like he talks about himself he's bad luck like stuff just keeps happening to him that like he like doesn't want to deal with like the whole eagle thing because he's like it's it's 
gone and I'm just going to be disgraced for doing this. Um, but uh, he's, he's thinks about things very rationally. Yeah. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, BP, I had asked you to use three words to describe Brutus. You didn't get a lot of screen time this episode, but will in the future, certainly. One of these three words is technically two, but I hyphened it because it kind of yeah, tied fine. it all. Excellent. But uh, the first word is blunt because I, I don't think he uh, he pretty much, especially when he's not sober, he pretty much kind of just says what's on his mind. Uh, he is politically indifferent. He does not really care for uh the politics on that on this end as of yet and i put conflicted because i think he is kind of being put into a position where uh he's kind of questioning do i continue with a political identity or do i just want to continue just doing battle and calling it good yeah all right can i add one sorry i just i have a fun one i want to throw in for brutus go go for no common afterward pawn (laughs) oh that's all i got that's all i got all right, uh, Cole, three words to describe Adia. All right, so much like BP, I have hyphenated an entire paragraph. As one <laughs> word. Uh, so my three words for Adia, my first word is conniving mm. because she, she's very intelligent, but like intelligent, uh, I also, full disclosure, I also used intelligent and I had to come up with a different word. Uh, conniving because like it's intelligence but it's like a, an in- aggressive intelligence mm-hmm. and it's more like a, a selfishness about she knows what she wants and uh i put belligerent oh, because okay. she's very stubborn about what she wants and uh, like when octavia is talking about i don't want to divorce glabius and she basically says that's too bad and then later on uh she's complaining to octavia about not getting chosen to be pompey's wife and it just refuses to acknowledge her daughter's pain on the issue, at least at first. Yeah, yeah. All right, lovely there, Cole. Jacob, back to you. Three words you had for Polo. Polo, unbothered. He does not care about social standards or anything, what's expected of him. He does, He could not care less. Our boy Polo is crass, drawn phalluses. He doesn't care about a social status. He's like, oh, you want me to address you by sir? Okay, I guess I will. Uh, and he's a savage, you know, we see him pulling teeth out of dead bodies. Uh, he's just, he's a little rough around the edges. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff there. BP three words for Sevilla. This one was tough because she yeah. didn't get a lot of screen time this week, but just kind of based off of what I could see of her, I have elegant. Uh, I think she, uh, has, um, this idea it's kind of a reason why caesar there's a reason why caesar loves her he there's this like elegance about her that but but does she but does caesar love her i was thinking that he won't write it in the letter he won't write it in the letter bp yeah we'll let we'll let bp go on that's a fair <laughs> rebuttal there uh jacob of course but that's also why she's so elegant is because she wants a letter how else are they going to communicate <laughs> Yeah, you want him to send her a text message? <laughs> no, I'm saying okay. Uh, sophi- sophisticated, she's the one hosting the uh, get together in Rome, and she is also very precise. She knows exactly what she wants. She knows uh, uh, everything that she needs and all that jazz. 
All right, all right. This one's, this one's a tough character. No, looking back on a BP, I think I gave you the hardest characters, frankly. So I'll try not to settle with that in the future. Cole, three words for Octavia. Octavia, I had, uh, my first one was sad. She's <laughs> really just going through it this entire episode, and I felt bad for her. Yeah. Uh, I also had naive, because she doesn't really seem to get the deeper implications of a lot of stuff they're doing. Like the whole thing where the uh, Adia says, yeah, you need to divorce Glabius so you can marry Pompey. And she's like, but no, I, I love Glabius, not really understanding that that's not a factor in her mother's decisions at all. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the final word I've chosen is emotional mm -hmm. because she, when she feels emotions, she feels them pretty intensely as shown in, I'm pretty sure it's her last scene where they're talking about a Pompey having married, her name was Cornelia, correct? I believe so. Yeah. And uh, she just very aggressively states that she wants Pompey dead. Yeah. 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 Good, good stuff there. Jacob, you were nodding along there. I saw a, a glimmer in your eye that I've seen in my own, which was, of course, I could save her. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's a cutie. <laughs> and uh, and speaking of Jacob, uh, oh, you get big dog here. Jacob, what oh. were three words that you had for Caesar? Uh, contemplative, cunning, and hungry. Ooh, ooh. I like Is that. Caesar, I mean, of course, it's Julius Caesar. It is, it is the, 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 the Caesar himself, namesake for many things. Uh, like the cheese. salad. He is, exactly. He's playing the game at the highest level. He's thinking a, a gajillion steps ahead, and he, he wants it all, man. He wants power. He wants fame. He wants a Toritas, question mark? Ooh, mm -hmm. Vocabulary. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he's he's just a brilliant mind. All right, excellent characterization there, Jacob. You're down to one more. BP, you get his rival Pompey. Three words for Pompey. I would say he starts off reluctant because he does not want uh, Caesar to step down from uh, his power quite yet. Because uh, him and it, there are they're buddy buddy. They get along. Uh, but then. He is so petty, <laughs> uh, unnecessarily, un, un and I kind of want to know if this is what really actually started their feud in history is it was a horse because <laughs> it is so petty that he decides, oh, I'm going to steal this uh, eagle as a political symbol uh, for Caesar just because I didn't get a horse. And so I kind of uh, petties the next word and then uh, backsliding. He is kind of beginning to uh, have his fall from grace ever since he stole that eagle. Uh, like Jacob said that uh, Caesar is always a few steps ahead. Uh, so I think that we kind of, as soon as uh, Pompey sent his slave out to steal the eagle, uh, that we begin to see his fall from grace because he chose to make that decision. Yeah. And Caesar has a great line about Pompey, kind of to describe the backslide or like his impotence. I think it's near the end. He's like, uh, he has the political power of a sardine or something <laughs> like that. He compares him to a fish. It's, it's so wonderful. Yeah. 
All right, Cole, you've got the last member of the Julii on this list, Octavian. Three words to describe Octavian. So the first word I have is nervous, because that that's kind of the energy he gave off in his first couple of scenes. The the weird sexually charged scene with his mom in the, the bath, he definitely came across as nervous. Mm -hmm. And also the, the scene where he's getting ready to leave to Gaul, he very clearly did not want to go and was worried about how the trip was going to go. Mm. My second word, uh, which is a word he shares with Adia, which I hadn't realized until I'd written them all down and I didn't want to change it because I still felt it worked, was intelligent. Mm. Octavian is a very smart young lad, mm -hmm. and it is not shown in any better scene than the one where he's talking to Polo and Varanus. Yep, yep. Because he outlines Caesar's entire thought process in about three minutes. Yeah. Like, he suddenly made it all make sense to me. I wasn't even thinking yeah. there. I was like, oh, okay. The final word I have is arrogant yep. because he treats his slaves like dirt. And I'm pretty sure he's the only character we actually see doing that. I might be misremembering, but everyone else just kind of seems to treat their slaves at the very least like objects to be ignored. Yeah, apathetically. Yeah. yeah. Octavian almost goes out of his way to be <laughs> aggressive to them. Yeah. And also with uh, Varanus and Polo, when they first show up, he's like, yeah, untie me right now. I'm Octavian, Caesar's like great nephew, to which they're understandably like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll do that. Yeah. Cole, that and was a great kid. point that you brought up. Like, I hadn't realized like the apathy the other like other masters showed to their slaves versus like the Julii family who were quite harsh. Uh, what were you gonna say, BP? I also kind of wonder if the reason why he's super arrogant. Like, I wonder if growing up in a family as powerful as the one he's grown up in has kind of psychologically messed with him. Yeah, and realizing that he thinks he can act this way when really. Uh, it just makes him come off as an absolute jerk. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wonder if that upbringing of being the great nephew of Julius Caesar and uh, being sent on this quest by his mother to deliver this horse and things like that. I wonder if that's all kind of gone through his head uh, at such a young age and he thinks that it's okay to do so. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, that's a good point uh, that you brought up, BP. I'll, I'll share a little history here. Like, this doesn't spoil anything, but like, Roman aristocrats like Octavian, although he uh, wasn't as aristocratic in reality, but Roman aristocrats were raised from a very young age to have a very high self-esteem, to think very highly of themselves and stuff like that. And Roman mothers could sometimes be very aggressive in terms of raising them up to a very high standard and stuff. But anyways, okay, uh, final one for each of you. Jacob, can you share me three words about another big dog, Antony? Oh, big old Mark Antony. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's not a word. That's a sound. Sorry, that wasn't my description. That's gonna be a good job. <laughs> uh, pompous, arrogant, mm. self-involved. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark Antony. Uh, you know, uh, he's he's like I'm big man on campus, and all y'all are little dogs. Arf, arf. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, cause there's this scene where like uh, Brutus is there. And Julius Caesar is there, and he's like, "Oh, hey, what's up, Brutus? Uh, how's your family?" Blah blah blah. And Brutus is like, "Oh, well, actually." And then Mark Antony's like, "It's actually, I'm busy. I know I just <laughs> asked you this question, but I cannot be bothered to listen. I have to go." And it, yeah, he's just—he's a jerk. He's a slag off, man. 
Yeah, uh, I, I will note here, maybe as a reminder for the audience that uh, Jacob does have the hindsight of knowing Caesar and Antony from DOTRR, so that could color some perceptions, but he is not wrong. Uh, BP, three words for Cato, another tricky one. Um, Gaslighter, uh, he is manipula manipulative of Pompey throughout this entire episode, and kind of manip and gaslights him into kind of second guessing himself and to pom gaslights Pompey into Pompey, excuse me, into second guessing himself. Yeah. And yeah, he's just, he's just so manipulative towards him about that. And I, it, yeah. I, I wouldn't uh, have used that word. That's a great word though, BP. Mm -hmm. I dig that. Yeah. He is corrupt because even though he is trying to remove Caesar from power, uh, it's kind of seeming like he wants to be uh, removing him for his own political gaining rather than for the good of, of Rome. And then I would say he is conservative because he is wanting to, he's wanting, he's wanting this removal of somebody that has been in power for so long and thinks that like, he's conserving the idea of power is corruption corrupting if you're in it for so long oh okay uh bp i i really loved all the adjectives you gave i i'll just leave it at that i'll just leave it at that okay Ooh. uh final one to share for this episode cole take us home three words for cicero before i get to cicero because i don't have a, a whole lot for him i wanted to share some thoughts I had on each of the, the two final characters that my compatriots have shared. Mm. So uh, for Antony, I feel like Polo and Antony are very similar. They would either be best friends or would kill each other within 30 <laughs> seconds of meeting. I each other. agree. Yeah. It's kind of very bro-y energy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Give them a time machine and uh, put them in a uh, breakout, like breakout room, like one of those uh, rooms to kind of team built oh yeah, 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 yeah. or zoom yeah <laughs> and uh about cato i had some thoughts about uh i don't know if gaslighting is the correct term because cato's entire argument is caesar wants to take over rome and oust you pompey yeah cato does feel sincere about his thoughts yeah but yeah. the thing is i don't know if it's it could still be gaslighting because i don't know if Cato knows for certain that Caesar is doing that or he's just worried about it. That that's a good ethics question. Like, are is it still called gaslighting if you're not wrong? Although it's it's not hundred percent revealed if if Cato is mm -hmm. wrong necessarily. I don't know, maybe they're mm -hmm. gonna hug it out or something. Well, we got through that game, guys. Uh well, excellent uh, work there. Oh wait, oh wait, we didn't we even get the kid. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. The man with the one line. Yeah, yeah. Three words for Cicero. So Cicero was in one about five minute long scene in which he had maybe one line. So I didn't have a lot to work with, but I, I decided to go with charismatic, eloquent, and wise because he's very well spoken. Everyone stops to listen. Even Pompey stops uh, the discussion to listen to what Cicero has to say. He's eloquent. He's very well spoken and he's wise because he's not immediately saying, hey, let's all turn on caesar but he also says hey maybe we shouldn't necessarily be friends with him maybe we should kind of see the situation out figure out what our next play is yeah yeah uh, hitting at some good stuff 
I, I was going to say, Jacob, you're just eating that up there. Yeah. I know. Um, that is beautiful. Right. Well, yeah, we won't do this for, you know, we won't have 12 new characters to review next episode, but there's a few more characters that we'll need to introduce who might get some kind of game like this. But yeah, thank you guys very much for sharing those. So now comes the part of the show where we share our favorite moment from the episode, what we thought was the funniest moment from the episode, and if you wanted to, if you had a least favorite moment you felt so compelled to share, this would be the moment to do so as well. I know at least three of us have at least a, have a least favorite moment. BP, did you pick one? If not, that's fine. I did. You did? Okay. okay. Let's go, baby. Well, how about we get the negative stuff out of the way first so we ended on a high note. I will go ahead and share mine first, if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, uh, between four of us, I'm sure at least one of us have also, like, we've overlapped with some thoughts here, but my least favorite part of this episode was the treatment of Octavia. From a storytelling perspective, I understand how Octavia being politically prostituted, it advances the plot, but I don't like the depiction of it. And I I feel like it's, you know, kind of on the line of gratuitous nudity versus like, uh, you know, necessary to show the stuff there. But I don't know, the more I think about it, it's like, I feel like the nudity is not necessary for the scene where she's undressed and it makes me very uncomfortable. It's probably my two least favorite scenes in the show. And it's, it's very much contrasted against her mother, Octavia or Adia's nudity, because like, you know, she's the one totally in command in that situation. And this one, Octavia is quite literally being dressed down. And again, from a storytelling perspective, it makes sense, but it's just very uncomfortable to watch in my opinion. And I do, I do think it is a little too extra, but yeah. Did, was that anyone else's least favorite? Um, kind of, yeah? kind okay. of. So, what, what was your um, my my baddie? Uh, I uh, well is is just Atia, okay. um, because a hey Atia hey, uh, <laughs> and and b uh, she's just so so manipulative and conniving and like yeah she causes that situation Mm -hmm. and so just her as a person i'm like i don't like what's happening yeah yeah okay bp cole what about you guys least favorite part i definitely think k's least favorite scene is definitely right behind this one but i just the opening it took me a little bit. It's kind of what I talked about at the very beginning, just that from a filmmaking perspective, it just kind of bothered me that it just became my least favorite part because the, the battle scene, to be clear. Yes. The okay, battle okay. scene. It's because I'm kind of like, I don't, and I don't know entirely what this show's budget was when it first started. Um, and a lot of times that's what a lot of close-ups are forced to hide the fact that they're not on a high, very high budget most of the time. Spoiler alert, the budget's huge. <laughs> then that's really disappointing knowing that. Uh, yeah, just did not like that opening action sequence. And then from the storytelling perspective, I definitely would have to say um, Octavia's scene as well towards the end of the episode. Okay, okay. Cole, how about you? Least favorite part getting these out of the way? My least favorite part was... Uh, when they're at that big knoll party and it's uh, Brutus just drunkenly saying all this like nonsense about the Gauls. Oh, because, like, you know, oh like, yeah. They're, okay. they're all just like, uh, like rotten and disease. They only eat raw meat and they all kill each other all the time. Just, like, just felt like a bunch of aggressive nonsense for no reason. It served no purpose. And also 
uh, I don't imagine he even saw any galls while he was there. So he's just entirely talking out of his behind. I, uh, Cole, to, to defend the xenophobia in this scene, I, I think the inclusion of this was like to show Roman prejudice and xenophobia. Because it's like, mm -hmm. you know, our word barbarian, I'm pretty sure the Romans invented it just like to, you know, anyone that wasn't Roman is lesser than and stuff like that. Um, but that's a good point. Yeah, Brutus does not come across as particularly likable when he's drunk and going off about that. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. All right. How about, guys, we hit up our, our favorite parts of the episode, our favorite thing that happened. Not the funniest thing quite yet, but our favorite thing. Would anybody care to share? Uh, everyone dying to share what they thought here first? I nominate Cole. Cole's going first. Cole's going first. Okay, cool. Uh, my favorite scene was Octavian talking to Polo and Varenus about all of Caesar's plans. I thought it was incredible. I, like Jacob said earlier, wasn't 100% clear on what Caesar was doing. But in that one three-minute scene, Octavian fully articulates everything in a perfectly digestible manner and, like, shows his own, like, political chops and that he understands all of this as if it's child's play. And I just, I loved it. Yeah. Octavian might be my favorite character thus far. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, very, very edgy of you. <laughs> I, I tip my fedora. Um, Incelius. <laughs> let's see. BP, would you mind hitting us with your favorite thing for this episode? This is kind of an interesting pick for my favorite scene. It's the scene at kind of closer at the beginning when they're when the Senate, I think that's what it is, the Senate or all the senators are all meeting. And the reason I think that it is, uh, while it's a very brief scene and while it may not objectively be the best scene, it is probably the one where you can kind of see where the wheels in motion are beginning. You uh, kind of see where all the puzzle pieces are kind of coming together, how this uh, type of government works and just kind of seeing uh, like Pompey's downfall kind of already kind of, even though it's not, I don't think it's a fall from grace quite yet uh, for Pompey. I think it kind of just gets a little subtlety to show this is not going to end well with okay. how divided the senate is yeah yeah okay uh, are you talking a little little 2022 american politics in there ooh, bp ooh, uh, just ooh. kidding <laughs> let's see here ooh. uh uh history repeats you itself sharing? uh uh yeah uh mine's still a simple thing uh it was when uh polo and varanus uh they found the eagle i was like because oh, you know it's good nice little reward for our our two little cops as we said you know, and we, we thought our boy Polo was going to be doomed to go back to a life of disgrace. He was functionally dead already. But hey, they found it. They get the, the I don't know what happens. Maybe they get spoils and rewards. Maybe they just Polo gets rewarded with not going back to jail. But yeah. it's, it's a nice moment. It's like, hey, they did it. They didn't think they were going to do it. And they did. All right. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of rankings there, Cole, yours, your pick was my runner up. And I was initially going to pick that, but I thought like, maybe I could like, I thought someone else would share that. So this is why I picked mine here. But mine was that like, just maybe as a whole, the, the episode, it felt like a different world to me. Like, because 
a lot of historical uh, medieval or medieval fantasy media like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, which are both medieval fantasy, you have a pretty basic understanding of how the world works and how the tropes work. Like in Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, there's nominally a king that everyone is supposed to serve. There are cities that look and operate like this. There are villages that look and operate like this. But Rome to me feels very different uh, from the concept of a medieval or fantasy village because what Rome presents is not a medieval society, which I think of. And of course it's not. Like Roman is like a thousand years before medieval Pretty times nice. at this yeah. time period and stuff. But but anyways, uh, the city of Rome, it's very grimy and dirty, both physically and in its society. There's like lewd graffiti in the intro. The performance in the play is pornographic. We see that Roman religious sacrifice. We see that makeup tutorial of Octavia going to meet uh, Pompey. We see like so many slaves in the show as well and how the slave owners treat them. So even though Rome actually depicts very realistically the ancient world to me it feels less familiar than something like game of thrones um because i know the tropes of game of thrones and game of thrones is also a bad pick for me because i've been familiar with the show and the books for like nine years or so um but rome it just feels like a very very different world than what you might be used to seeing in historical based tv shows and stuff like that so i i laud it for that and now, guys, we come to the point where we pick or we present the funniest moment to occur in the episode, in our opinions. BP, I'm going to ask you to share first here. What did you think was the funniest thing to happen in this episode? Oh, definitely when Octavian is trying to prove to uh, Polo. And gosh, I keep I'm bad with Varinus. Varinus, uh, like that he's Caesar's great nephew and they're just not having it mm -hmm. it just cracks me up when they're just kind of like oh no i don't believe you i don't see the big deal in you as a kid why how do i know it's true yada 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 but yeah definitely one of the funniest moments for me even though it's brief and short it got a good chuckle out of me Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, now for Cole and Jacob, you guys, you know, pre-show were kind of saying, you guys seem to be both thinking you would accidentally or just happen to pick the same thing. I and I so. thought I had guessed correctly what it was going to be. And I wrote it down on a little post-it note here. So how do you guys want to, do you guys want to, how about you guys like say at the same time, what was your guys' funniest scene? And I'll, I'll see if I got it right. All right, calm uh, us down, please, so we get, we make sure we're on beat. I'm all right. Praise this. Three, two, one. Nude oh, Octavia. Oh, we, oh, we're different. We're different. We're different. Okay. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, Jacob, you go first on that. What was that? Did I hear uh, that correctly? Okay, I had to figure out a way to phrase it quickly so nude Octavia doesn't sound uh, out of context like a good, funny thing. Yeah, but where's this going? <laughs> I, I have to be very careful with my language. Sure. But like, so it's the scene where uh, uh, Pompey and Octavia are consummating their theoretical uh, marriage, yeah. although in the, as we know, it doesn't happen. And like the last scene we see of that is Octavia uh, on the bed okay. in the weirdest position ever, okay. I think. <laughs> like, I, I, it's just not how... Um, uh, it just looks uncomfortable. Um, sure, it's sure. not like a sex act that's happening, but right, like, right. It's not. It's not. It's like it's not a steamy. It's not steamy. Yeah, no, yeah. the position is just like it caught me off guard. I was like, "What is happening?" That's okay, so weird. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. Wow. Okay, I was I was definitely off on that. Cole, what did you think? That was my least favorite thing. But yeah, Cole, what did you think? 
Uh, my funniest moment was just a the drawing that Polo was making in prison of the giant, very intricately detailed penis. I, I thought it was hilarious. Okay, yes. I did. Men have not changed all that <laughs> as humanity has evolved. Okay, I, I did correctly guess you there, Cole. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll Excellent. share my funniest moment here real quick. Also Polo in prison, but I thought Polo praying and bargaining what he would offer a god if he was released was great because it seemed like he'd been doing that for a while and his prayer immediately gets answered. I thought that was really funny. That was That was a good bit there. All right, so... Real quick here, BP and Cole, I'm going to take a sec here to kick you guys out to a breakout room. So mommy and daddy, uh, you guys can decide who is who, can talk about historical accuracy and stuff like and that. And we want to know when you come back. Who's dad? <laughs> yes, please discuss among yourselves. Yeah, it's definitely an easy decision. Uh, okay, you guys uh, skedaddle. <laughs> you kids. Um, so Jacob, in terms of like historical accuracy and stuff like that, how did you feel that things were depicted at this time period and stuff? Right at, right at the start, I'm like, I don't feel like I remember this is how it was okay. because they describe Pompey and Julius being in power, the consuls at the same time, but Julius is away at war in Gaul. And I feel like I'm remembering correctly that Julius was not consul while he was at war with Gaul, right? Like, yeah, he was technically a governor. He was technically yeah. an ex-consul. And like part of part of like uh, Caesar's actual inspiration for war, he wanted to run. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah, okay. He wanted to run for consul yeah. and Pompey wouldn't let him. And that is what led to it. I'm going to cross the Rubicon now. Don't know what that voice was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. OK, I'm glad I, I'm, I was writing that. So um, there was that. And uh, let me peruse my um, notes. That was like the big thing. Um, we, I, uh, oh, this is more of a question. That is Cato the Younger, right? Correct. Yes, that is Cato okay. the Younger. I, yeah. I, I pictured him as being young because it's Cato the Younger, but right. obviously he's old, which makes sense because it's politics. Yeah. Um, but we alluded to this earlier, uh, Octavian status and just like the family of the Julii, mm -hmm. like Octavian he, I guess, like, yeah, he's related to Caesar, but he really wasn't a part of the Julii family, right? He wasn't nobility. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of yes and no there, Jacob, because, like, um, let's see. There's the greater family of the Julii, which he was a part of, but Octavian specifically came from a poorer, less distinguished mm -hmm. branch, but Caesar did historically take a liking to him, and they did have some mm -hmm. interactions and stuff like that. So it does, it does kind of play, it, it does seem like Adia for her entire life has been a very privileged tip of the top aristocrat, whereas right, in yeah. reality, I don't think that that is a very accurate portrayal. She probably thought highly of herself, but wasn't truly the upper crust like she appears to be. Mm -hmm. And I wondered about that with like how everyone was treating Octavian. They're like, oh, uh, Master Octavian, are you okay? And I'm sure that's just because they're servants of the family. Mm -hmm. But uh, still, it just struck me as I don't know if he would have been as highly regarded as this show is depicting him to be. So yeah yeah yes yeah so the the horse thing is you know contrived as like the point of inspiration for poppy yeah. to turn and i i honestly don't remember like i i mean 
is you know right in his guess there's not going to be a big caesar pompey battle you know this next episode mm -hmm. unless i'm very misremembering so i do wonder if they're going to play with that caesar wants to run for consul outside rome because i i don't even think rubicon crossing his next episode either i could be wrong mm -hmm. i really forget but uh yeah yeah any other thoughts jacob or should we let him back I in i think those were the main couple that struck me okay okay yeah all right um, oh also the whole eagle thing uh, like definitely Pompey did not send people to steal the eagle, right? Yes, yes. I, I yeah, all contrived as as I recall. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, his eagle never even got stolen. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's all I got then. Okay, okay. Um, I almost hit stop recording. Good God. Okay. <laughs> close all rooms. So this should give them like 30 seconds to get back if history is All right. Who's papa? Who's mama? <laughs> okay. Oh, did, uh, uh, did BP share our thoughts on who was who? No, you Let's guys got it at the same just... time. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, K, you are K. K, dang it. K with K is unquestioningly mom. mommy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was and, no uh, debate had. Oh god. And Jacob is for sure dad. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, you bank for God's sake. <laughs> um. All right, guys. This gets into my favorite i'm looking forward to this so much uh a quiz of historical accuracy here now let me explain the rules of how this is going to work here because obviously jacob has a bit of an advantage being a dedicated dotrr listener at day one in so many words jacob is going to go last as to not give you guys hints mm -hmm. but jacob will also only be earning half points so if jacob gets all like 12 questions right he'll end up with six versus you guys if if you guys get something right then you get the full point there okay it is also going to alternate between cole and bp as far as who answers a question first so i think i have this where there's going to be 12 initial questions and then there are three bonus questions at the end that are ordered from easiest to hardest and i will let you guys answer from who is the least points to most points there so our very first question here guys is pompey and caesar had a political alliance what was that alliance called a, the Republican Party, B, the People's Party, C, the First Triumvirate, or D, the First Quinquereme. So thinking on that for a moment, I am going to ask Cole, what do you think here? Pompey and Caesar's political alliance, what was it called? The answer, Mr. K, is C. You are thinking First C. First Triumvirate. I should have said beforehand, everyone is going to answer no matter the question. So yeah, BP, what do you think? Do you also want to go for a or Do you want to pick something else? I'm going to try. I'm going to go with my partner in crime here, Cole, and say C as well. All right. And Thanks, man. Jacob, what do you think? Uh, the correct answer is the first triumvirate, the third person of which we have not met yet. Ah, ah, ooh, okay. Oh, Jacob, true. you guys are all correct. Everyone has earned a point, or in Jacob's case, at the very end, it'll be half a point. All right. I may B or may not have brought that specific fact up in my pre-show interview. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm, um, okay. BP, this first question, or this next question is going to be you first who answers, okay? So, Poppy right. Magnus was married to Julius Caesar's daughter, Julia. That is correct. And Julia really did die in childbirth. That is correct. The question is, what is the best estimation of the age gap between Pompey Magnus and Julia? Pompey was about five years older than his wife, about 10 years older than his wife, about 20 years older than his wife, or about 30 years older than his wife who died in childbirth. BP, what is your guess? Well, knowing, not knowing 
everything quite yet in terms of who these people were in real life. But knowing the historical context of how significant those age gaps often were, I'm going to have to guess D. D, 30, 30 years. years. Okay, okay. Cole, how about you? Well, w- along with what BP said, as well as just looking at those uh, actors, it has to be C or D. I would be stunned if it were A or B. I'm going to go D as well. That that feels more right. Okay. Uh, Jacob, how about you? Um, I'm going to game the system here. Um, I do think it's D, but uh, I want to win points uh, and not get it, you know, fall behind if they get it right as well. So I'm going to say 20 years or elder. 20 years. Okay. Okay. Let's see the non-listeners. BP and Cole, you got that correct. Pompey Magnus is about 30 years older than his wife, Julia. All right. Question three coming up here, guys. The son of Atia, the great nephew of Julius Caesar, is referred to as Octavian. Yet this is inaccurate. What would Octavian's name actually have been at this point in his life? I also should have said this earlier. Like, uh, for for Cole and BP, this is basically a guessing game. Uh, What you saw on the History Channel can help out a little bit. But yeah, definitely, you know, don't have to think too hard about this if you don't have a good guess. So anyways here, Cole, this one goes to you first. What would Octavian's name actually have been at this point in his life? Octavius, Caesar, Augustus, or Julius? I'm gonna say... B, I know the Romans were big on like naming their family members after each other to a frankly ridiculous extent. So Caesar, you think? Yes. Okay, okay. BP, how about you? I'm going to guess C. He was named Augustus. Okay, okay. No particular rhyme or reason if this is just a guessing game. Sure, sure. And how about you, Jacob? I'm going to correctly answer Octavius A. Very confident there, Jacob, and very correct. At this point in his life, it's a subtle change, it's a little change, but the show calls him Octavian. At this point in his life, he is actually called Octavius, um, and you guys will, you know, learn why. Uh, you maybe could take a guess. Okay, this is just a simple yes or no question. The Roman Senate are shown to nominally be the rulers of the Roman Republic, but were Roman senators elected to that position? Yes or no? Generally speaking, Roman senators were elected like uh, us uh, used to American politics. We got senators. Are they elected uh, in a similar way? Yes or no? I believe BP, this one is your lead. I'm going to say, oh, oh boy. 50-50. I know. I'm going to guess yes, because um, the idea is that uh, they they chose the... To quote one movie called The Dark Knight, they uh, say that they chose Julius Caesar to lead Rome, like the people of Rome chose Caesar to uh, lead them. So I'm believing that the Senate is the same way. Okay, okay. How about you, Cole? I am leaning more towards no, but that comes with the thought that them being elected would be a thing that all of the citizenry of Rome would be a part of which I in no way believe to be the case just based on the sheer like disdain that Cato displayed for the lower classes. All right. Um, and Jacob, how about you? Yes. You, you think they were elected? Yes. All right. So this one here, Roman senators, were they elected to the position of the Senate? It, it kind of changes throughout history. It depends on the era. And in this instance, 
I the the correct answer is no. Strictly speaking, Roman senators are not elected to become senators. They don't serve for limited terms. The first uh, hundred members of the Senate in Roman history, if I remember correctly, Rome's first king Romulus chose the uh, hundred best uh, leading men of the leading families to run it with him. So it was definitely an aristocratic institution more so than you are elected to it by the people. Of course, by gaining a magistrate, you could then become a senator, but that is uh, strictly speaking, in my opinion, no, they are not elected to the position in the American sense. But question five here coming up. Good job, Cole. You will answer this one first. At the Senate meeting, Pompey sits apart from the other senators because he holds a, a specific position in the Roman government. What position does Pompey hold? Pompey is a consul, Pompey is a dictator, Pompey is a triumvir, or Pompey is a tribune. There was in this episode, he, he actually did kind of say the name of his position. So what was he, a consul, a dictator, a triumvir, or a tribune? Cole, your response. I believe he was a consul. You're thinking consul? All right. BP, how about you? I also believe he was a consul. Also consul. And you, Jacob? I, for one, know he was a consul. All right. Excellent sweep there, gentlemen. Okay. Consular veto is what he had. I hope yes, I, I did. did. I just spoil a question? Oh, God. Titus Polo prays to the god Forculus to release him from prison. What is Forculus the god of? The forge and fire, doors, war, or prisons? BP, your response here. I'm going to guess... D prisons just because he's praying to get out of a prison all right uh cole how about you i'm also gonna say d but i am more certain that is correct because of my knowledge of roman mythology i'm fairly certain i know who those other three are oh okay how about you jacob um i am leaning towards the fact that the god of prison would be a weird thing to have um, so I think it's the god of the fire and forge. Hey. Okay. All right. Uh, this is our first just wipe here, guys. Forculus, according to Google, is the god of Whoa. doors in Roman what? mythology. Yep. Yep. That I've, makes sense. I've got to Google who, what I'm thinking of then. All right. Let's see here. Question number seven. Cole, you're going to answer this one first. The show implies that Brutus's mother, Servilia, has a romantic interest in Caesar. Is that historically accurate? Yes or no? What do you think, Cole? Uh, I'm going to say yes. I don't know that they were involved, but the question asks if she had a romantic interest in him. I'd be more inclined to believe that at the very least was true. Okay. How about you, BP? I would say yes. Okay. And Jacob? I think so. Yes. Yes? Okay. Yes. All right, that is a point for everyone. Servilia and Julius Caesar, historically, yes, had some romantic interest there. And but we may see Julius that later on. Julius really the didn't actually never mind i'm not gonna say that okay okay yeah. yeah yeah we'll see some more of this coming up here yeah. later in the series all right question number eight guys only a few more to go servilia wants brutus to become more interested in politics since his family has been involved in politics for 500 years as she says about 500 years previous to the show how was brutus's ancestor lucius junius brutus significant brutus's ancestor expelled the last roman king he was the first Roman king, he was Rome's last king, or he was decreed to be a god after he died. BP, you are answering this first. What was Brutus's, or why was Brutus's ancestor politically significant? I will guess C. Guessing C, he was Rome's last king. Got that locked in. Cole, how about you? I'm leaning more towards A. Also, I fact-checked my confusion on the 
the Roman God thing, and I am upset. Not <laughs> at you. It, the question is valid. Uh, the one I was thinking of is the Roman God of Doors, but Forculus is one of his subordinate gods. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Let's see. And Jacob, how about you? Why was Brutus's ancestor significant? Well, he was, in fact, uh, part of the party that expelled the last Roman king. All right. Jacob sounds pretty confident there, and for good reason. That is correct. Lucius Junius Brutus was a leader in expelling Rome's last king. So point to Cole and point to Jacob. Question number nine. Varinus said that his father rode with Sola. Who was Sola? Here are your options. Sola was a Roman god of war. Varinus was speaking in metaphors. Sola was a Roman general who became a dictator via civil war. Sola was a Roman warrior woman who was a centurion, an officer in the army, or Sola was the first Roman emperor. This one is Cole's to answer first. I'm going to go with B. Going with B, general who became dictator via civil war. BP, how about you? I am also going to go B. All right. And Jacob? Sola was the first to go renegade, renegade, <laughs> renegade. Uh, he was the one who uh, became dictator via civil war. All right, well done, gents. Point to everyone here. All right, question number 10. In this episode, we see that marriage is a tool to ensure political alliances. Scipio offers his daughter's hand in marriage to Pompey, just as Adia offers Octavia's hand. Yet Octavia is already married and forced to divorce her husband, so she's available to marry Pompey. And this is inaccurate because Roman families were not so keen to divorce. That is essentially the question. Roman families were not keen to divorce each other, even for political purposes. Is that true? Or is that false? BP, you get to answer first. Part of me wants to lean towards false because if it's in Rome, I'm presuming that the main religion of these folks is Catholicism. And Catholicism is very much, in history speaking, very much adamant that divorce is a huge no-no. But knowing that people want to i'm i'm actually going to go with true just because i'm kind of feeling that they're i feel like just because of the scheming and all that i think they would want to just find some leeways so so bp just to be true. clear you're you're saying true now the way the question is phrased kind of weird it's roman families were not keen to divorce so if you were saying true you're saying they don't like to divorce Oh, yeah, I'm saying that's true. They are not keen to Okay, divorce. okay. Cole, how about you? I think it is false, and they were all about divorce. See, I initially had a similar thought to about just thinking, historically, divorce has been kind of a, a no-no and frowned upon, but that stems from Catholicism and Christianity, and I'm pretty sure this predates Catholicism. We were so just that talking be- about Forculus as a god. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure it's based on Roman mythology, and I'm I'm just assuming they're more cool with divorce. Okay, okay. And how about you, Jacob? If memory serves, uh, divorce was generally frowned upon, and there was like a six-month waiting period you were supposed to like go through, I think, right? Uh, To remarry after a divorce or something like that. So true, uh, not keen on. All right, Cole, you are the only one to pick up the point here. The statement is false. Roman families very often divorce each other, uh, one another, for political gain and purposes. And and BP, you picked up a great point there about Christianity and Catholicism. Unfortunately, you're you're only 
gosh, uh, roughly 50 years away from the birth of Christ. So yeah, Jesus wasn't born yet uh, when the story started, but uh, yeah. Okay, who is Mars that Polo prays to? The Roman God of Beauty, the Roman God of the Dead, the Roman God of Chance, or the Roman God of War? Cole, this is yours to answer first. It is D, and I am certain in that fact. All right, how about you, BP? It is definitely D, because if theater history has taught me anything, is that Roman theater started with gladiatorial stuff and it was started and they were wanting to honor mars all right and how about you jacob might be mars is that so wait final answer it might be mars what d it might be d oh okay okay sorry i I didn't hear that final answer mars question mark (laughs) okay everyone got a point there okay no, he was thinking the uh, I was, of Mars. I was out thinking myself. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, Jacob, this gets into what you were talking about earlier. Caesar and Pompey cool. once belonged to the first triumvirate. Tri implies there were three people. Who is the unnamed third politician in their alliance? And I got a couple stipulations here. There is Cato the Younger, who's the old guy in the black robe in this episode. So Cato or Marcus Licinius Crassus, an individual who is real but not in this episode, Marcus Tolius Cicero, who was in this episode, or Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, who is a real person who is not in this episode. So which of these three Roman politicians was the third member of the first triumvirate? BP, this is yours to answer first. Cato, Crassus, Cicero, Lepidus. There are four of them, not three. I'm going to go with B, Crassus. All right, BP thinking Crassus. Cole, who do you think? I believe it is D, Lepidus. Thinking it is Lepidus. And Jacob, how about you? It is our slumlord himself, Marcus (laughs) Licinius Crassus. All right. And, And Jacob, you guys got that one correct. Guys, here is the leaderboard at the present. BP, seven points. Jacob, eight points. Cole, nine points. Jacob, we, I might need to think about that nerf on you getting half points. That, maybe maybe that isn't necessary. I don't know. But, hey, uh, hey we'll, we'll, we can just multiply up if at the end, you know, it feels sure, unfair. Sure, yeah, yeah, so. we can see what happens. These questions, these final three questions go from easiest to hardest. So at the present standing, BP, you will get the easiest question. Cole, you will get the hardest question. And if the person the question is assigned to cannot answer, someone else can steal it. We'll see how that goes. BP, this first question is for you. Romans crucify a few Gauls this episode. Name someone else who was crucified. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Great. That, Whoa, watch wow, that sounds heavy worried. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, should I try to snatch it? I, I thought it was a given. Let's see. Jacob, slightly harder question coming up here is going to you. If you cannot answer it, then Cole BP get a chance. All right. I'll give you a time warning if it's if it's taken a bit. Okay. Uh, the TV show essentially shows two types of Roman citizens, nobles and commoners. Pompey is portrayed to have come from a common background, but Rose High, whereas oh. Atti and her family are portrayed as more noble. But what are the commoners called? This was named in this episode. Mm-hmm. And what are Roman nobles called? Uh, the commoners are called plebs. Yep, yep. The nobles are called... I don't know. Don't know. All right. Cole BP, you guys think you have a guess? Jacob possessed the same level of knowledge that I did. Okay. Second. (laughs) Yeah. 
The other one is patricians. Plebeians uh, and patricians. Yeah, yeah. I will award half a point there to Jacob. Ooh. Let's see. Half Cole. a half a point. Cole, you have the final and hardest question, okay? And if hey. you cannot answer it in uh, an arbitrary amount of time, then BP and Jacob will have a chance to take it. When you are crucified, what word describes the wounds you bear? Oh, um... Aside from the holes, I'm not quite sure. So yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and answer. I'm gonna go ahead and give up on this one. All right, Jacob. I'm just and throw out a guess. I'm yep. just gonna say I don't think it makes gra grammatical sense. Palm bearer. Palm bearer. <laughs> um, it is not palm bear, but fair enough guess. How about you, BP? Um. I'm going to go with the simple one here. It is a nail. I'm just going to say nail wound because you get like your your nails are getting hammered into your hand, creating the, the holes. Um, unfortunately, no one got this. That's OK. I only picked this because I like this word and because it was relevant this episode. Stigmata. Um, is, oh, uh, the oh yeah, yeah. I actually That's knew that. Right. Yeah, yeah. OK, the, the grand total standing right now. BP, you have eight points. And Jacob, you have eight and a half, and Cole, you have nine. So yeah, we'll we'll play with this a little bit more. Four and a quarter. Now, uh, uh, and that guys, that is essentially kind of getting getting on wrapped here. We'll go on through now, guys, and talk about plugging stuff at the end here. I'll go ahead and do the major show stuff first. If you want to learn more about the history behind the events happening here, besides BP and Cole, who cannot spoil things for themselves, Death of the Roman Republic, Chapter Ten, Conquest and Gaul, K in Rome roughly corresponds things that were happening in this episode of HBO's Rome, The Stolen Eagle. I didn't say the episode name here. Other stuff on the outro here. By the time you're hearing this recording, we will have already reviewed the second episode of HBO's Rome and possibly more, but look forward to the episode two review next week. If you guys want to follow the show, it is at dotrrpod on Twitter, and you can email the show with thoughts at dotrrpod at gmail.com. If you want to talk, you know, have some thoughts about the show, HBO's Rome stuff, like that definitely tweet them send them and might get read out on air here please 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 if you can leave a rating on apple podcasts and at this point my fellow hosts do you guys have anything that you would like to promote um hello my name is jacob you can follow uh my biology content uh field explorations and uh, wildlife biology etc cetera, etc cetera. uh you can just follow the twitter account at the great wilds and you can find the rest of the stuff there and if you like me you can follow my personal twitter account <laughs> with the very uh, uh, embarrassing handle of at soup catfish yolo there's there's great content on there uh much recommended if you like lord you're gonna love you're gonna love oh, jacobs <laughs> Let's see, BP, something to plug on your end? Uh, I didn't get to include this in the initial podcast. Kieran Hines played Mance Raider on Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, but Great if you point. are someone that loves uh, film and television, uh, you can follow my letterbox, uh, BP Oil Spell 98. I just created it about a week ago. I will be reviewing my first uh, most recent release on there, uh, Thor Love and Thunder. All right, all right. Uh, reviews coming in nice and hot. And Cole, did you have anything that you wanted to promote? At the moment, no, but we'll see where the, the week takes us. Maybe in the future <laughs> I might have something. Ooh. All right, all right, all right. All Let's right, see. Right, well, right. 
guys, Jacob had given me this novel idea here where uh, different hosts could trade off of doing the outro here. And since Jacob is the only one who knows the outro, would, would you honor us here, Jacob, and uh, uh, run us out here? Oh, pressure's on me. I remember the most important part, I think. Um, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Excellent, excellent work there. Okay, great first podcast, guys. Thank you, thank you. All right. I'm going to hit end record.